0: wasn't. All right. So we are going to jump right in. Last week, if you weren't here, we did a preview for the next six weeks. It's called Fixer Upper. It is loosely based off of a really cool television show with Chip and Joanna Gaines. And last week we talked about transformation and what transformation requires of us. And we'll be going through that in the next six weeks. And I gave you some homework last week. The first thing I asked you to do was to think, Pray and invite. Think of people in your life um, that might need a transformation from God. Uh, Pray about those people. Um, Pray that God would give you the wisdom and the boldness of what to say to them. And number three, let's put it into action. Let's invite them to the bridge and see what God can do uh, through them. The second thing was go all in. And man, I feel like after service, we were just amped to go all in. And I appreciate everyone's uh, efforts to do that. If you're new here, if you're a skeptic here, can you do me a favor? Just, just be here. And, and, and let's go all in. Dustin says this verse a lot. It says, taste and see, um, what the Lord has, you know, just, and that verse is almost like a dare. Like I dare you to just try this out. It's not like a, if you like it, it's okay. But I dare you to just chunk this off and try it for a little bit. So if you're a skeptic, if you're not really sure about what we're doing here, so let's just go all in for six weeks. Six weeks won't hurt you. Let's just see what the Bible has to say about transforming our lives and let's go all in for the next six weeks. Okay, so this week we are talking about structural integrity, structural integrity. That's the first thing that we're going to talk about um, in the series. So if you've watched the show, how many have seen Fixer Upper? What's the very first thing that they do? They go, well, before that, they go around and look at houses, right? Um, in the opener, Chip and Joanna say, we take the worst house in the best neighborhood and we transform it. So they have to decide what, um, what they want, which house they want. Now, I recently sold my house, and um, I'll tell you, tell you a little about that process. It's hell. And uh, my realtor came over and I hadn't signed with her yet. So she comes over and she's, she's like, all right, walk me through your house. So I walk through my house and um, she is just making notes and telling me just how much she loves stuff. Like just, oh, I love what you did here. I love what you did here. I really like this space. You know, your, your living room, it's a good space. And she's just, I mean, I feel like, man, I'm... I'm. <laughs> I'm banking off this thing. This woman is telling me how great she loves my house. So then she sits down and she shows me some comparables in the, in the area. And, and then um, I signed my life away to that woman. Um, then she says, all right, let's walk through your house again. Okay, let's do it. Let's see how great my house is. Okay, what I'm gonna need you to do here is I need you to strip everything out of this room. I don't wanna see anything in this room. This looks terrible. I need you to get rid of this. And it was just like, after that, I'm like, oh my God am I going to make money off this thing? Like I have the worst house now, but what she was doing is she was trying to make it, uh, the appearance good for people that were wanting to see it. Right. And what she says is I really like the colors of your walls because they're a good neutral color. And when you sell your house, you want a good neutral color. And I'm thinking to myself, like, why does that matter? That, that can be changed like that. Like, hire Walter and slap some paint on that thing, that's, that's not a big deal. Like, the, the paint on the walls is not a big deal, right? And if you watch the show, uh, Joanna walks through, and are those houses not hideous? Like, what were the people in the 70s and 80s thinking? Like, can somebody tell me what they were thinking? Like, orange carpet, was, how was that ever, ever a thing? Um, but what you'll notice, Joanna say, all right, I don't want you to focus on this. I don't want you to focus on this. It's in a good location. It's got good structure. It's got good bones because that's what really matters. I can transform all the cosmetic stuff, but we need to make sure that the structure is good. We need to make sure that's in a good location because you can't change those things. So what we're gonna start here today is the structural integrity of our hearts, the structural integrity of our hearts and how we have to start before we can start decorating things in our lives. That's what really matters. If water is gushing into your basement, you're not so worried about the wall color at that point. But you've got to figure out the structure and the foundation first. And I will promise you, It's not the greatest thing to talk about. The structure is not the funnest thing. Like if you just built your house, you're not pouring people in your house and say, all right, what's the first thing to do? Let's go downstairs and look at this concrete. Man, this thing has a foundation like you would never believe. No, you wanna show them all the cool things and all the the things that are appeasing to the eye, but what matters the most is the foundation. And this message might not be the most flashy and it might not be uh, the greatest thing to hear, the greatest thing to look at, but it is essential and it's the greatest decision that we will ever make in our lives. The foundation is important. I told you I saw my house um, and uh, I got the inspection report back. Um, I I had a contract on it and the inspection report came back. And of course it was like 90 pages long. Um, You would think that I lived... In a terrible dump. Um, but one of the things was I had a crack in my foundation, and uh, so I called my realtor. She's like, Oh, that's no problem. They can come out, put some epoxy in it, and cover it up. It'll be fine. So um, I watch a lot of Cardinals games, and I know that you should heal your home with Helitech, right? So I called Helitech, and I'm thinking this is going to be an easy conversation. I just need to tell them what I need. They can come out, super glue it, whatever they do, and call it a day. That's not the case. Um, So I called them and I said, hey, I'm selling my house. The inspection report came back. I need to get uh, this crack in my foundation. And I mean, ended up the crack was maybe a foot and a half long, it was tiny. And and I said, can you just come put some of the epoxy stuff in it and I'll pay whatever, just come do it and I'm closing soon. They're like, well, that's a problem because it's rained a lot this summer and a lot of people are having problems with their basements so we can't even come out till October. That's a problem, I close on September 23rd, so I need to to figure something out here. Okay, what we can probably do is come out and give you an estimate. and you can just pay for it and we can, we can fix it after the, the, the uh, people settle in. Okay, I can do that. Um, is it exposed? No, it's not exposed. The crack's not exposed. I live in a split level, so it's behind drywall. Okay, what we're gonna need you to do is take two feet of drywall out on both sides. If there's any studs in the way, we need you to take those out and we'll come out. Since it's a real estate transaction, we're gonna have to come out and do a three-hour assessment on it. And if the foundation has moved more than a quarter of an inch, most likely what we're gonna have to do is dig in and re-anchor the foundation. And I'm like... No, no, no. What I need is super glue. That's all I need. Can you just bring some of that super glue stuff out and call it a day? So... I'm thinking, well, if it's moved more than a quarter of an inch, I have crack in the basement, so it's moved. Um, so we're gonna have to do a whole lot of work. And I just said, you know, I don't think this is the route that I wanna go down. I'm trying to do this as cheap as possible because I don't care about this house anymore. So I'm not doing this. I will call somebody else. So I had to call somebody else. But they wanted to make sure that the foundation and the structure was good to go. Now, they might have been overcharging me in the process, but there's something because those, they want to have those buyers rest assured that what they're buying is sound and secure. In Matthew chapter seven, Jesus is preaching a message and it's the Sermon on the Mount and his, his, uh, <clears throat> his ministry is basically just started. It's Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. This is where we get uh, the Lord's prayer and things of that nature. And, and specifically in chapter seven, uh, Jesus is preaching on things like uh, don't judge others. And he's preaching on things like not everyone that calls me Lord will make it into heaven. But he says something specific in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. He says this, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So Jesus is getting done preaching this great message to all these people on how to live and how to pray and how to fast And he says this at the very end of Matthew chapter seven. He says, speaking of these things, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain comes, the streams come, and the winds blow and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears the words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. It matters where we put the foundation of our hearts. If we listen to the words of Jesus and put them into action, our lives will be built on structural integrity and we will be able to face all the winds, all the rains, all the streams that come in our life, we will be able to face them because we are on the rock of God. So the greatest decision in your life is the decision to live for God. For those of you who are not fully invested, maybe you're not all in yet, we all live our lives by something. We all live our lives by a code. You know, I grew up in church. Um, <clears throat> and growing up in church, like, church lingo and things that you talk about and lifestyles, they're just no-brainers. They're not things that you think about. But once I came to the bridge and I'm like, starting talking, I'm like, man, like, telling people to die daily, that's kind of a weird thing. <laughs> like, we talk about the blood of God, the blood of Christ. Like, we talk about like, giving up our lives for him, becoming servants of Jesus. Like, that's a weird thing, right? Like it's a weird lingo to have. And uh, it's, it's kind of hard to explain because it's, it's biblical language, but it means something different in this day and age. But, but whether it's weird or not, we all live our lives by some code. We all live our lives according to something. And my question is, what code do you choose to live your life by? I was having a conversation with somebody Um <clears throat> the other day, and they were asking specifically what the Bible says about a specific um, situation. And (laughs) I said, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to get in that conversation. Well, he says, I know what the Bible says about it, and I know what you should say about it. And I said, that is what the Bible says about it. But the thing is, is like when we talk about the Bible, like this is what I've chosen to live my life by. I have chosen to live my life by scripture. There's things I don't understand in it. There's things I don't necessarily agree with in that. But you know what? That's why I'm not God and he is. So whether I agree with it or not, whether I see eye to eye with what the scripture says, that's what I have chosen to live my life by. There's things that don't make sense to my human mind, but I trust God enough because he died for my sins that I will follow him completely and do whatever he asks of me. So I ask you, what code are you living your life by? I promise you, your political party affects you. It's funny to watch as presidents change from Democrat to Republican, from Republican to Democrat, the things that we are so angry about when it's the other party, all of a sudden our people are doing the same thing and it's just not that bad, you know? It's not that bad. This guy spent so much on his vacations and golf outings, um, but this guy spends even more, but you know what, this guy, he, he needs a break. You know, he's worked so hard. Is am I not right? Am I not true? We we give leeway to what we're okay with, and I can promise you, your political party probably affects you. What you watch affects you. I mean, like I can't even like turn on. Uh, you can't you can't watch anything without getting into some kind of debate. Um, turn on ESPN. I promise you, they're not talking about sports right now. They're talking about everything else but sports. It affects your worldview. What you read, what you come into contact with is affecting the way that you live your life. So my question is, are you just allowing things to control your worldview? Are you intentionally living your life by the code that you want to live by? Take it a step farther. Who is influencing your children's worldview? Are you haphazardly letting society shape them? Or are you intentionally teaching them the way that you want them to be taught? And all I can do to you is present the decision to live for God and hope that you choose it. But I promise you, this decision, whether you accept it or deny it, is the most important decision that you will ever make in your life. Christianity is so much more than being a good neighbor, preferring your brother, giving money. It's a salvational decision. Christianity starts there before you can love your neighbor as yourself, before you can do the golden rule, before you can can help anybody else out. You've got to help out your own heart. It's a matter of your salvation. And I want you to know this, and I'm going to read this in Acts chapter 4, 12. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The Bible puts it in front of you and says, Choose you this day who you will serve. Um, I was listening to a sermon one time by uh, a guy that was a pretty big preacher, um, and he, he was talking about that he was at a, a youth uh, camp one year and he was preaching this message and he noticed like in the back there was this, just these boys like messing around the whole time and, and messing around with each other and laughing and giggling and, um, and at the end of it, he gave an altar call. Everyone came to the front and if you've ever been to a youth camp, it's like as soon as they say come to the front, like it's just like running down to the altar. Everyone does it. um. <clears throat> Except he said these boys sitting in the back we're not, we're not, and uh, he said it just irritates, him, irritated him. You know, like it just irritated him that these boys. He just preached his guts out. He had just laid it all on the line. He had told all these people what the Bible had said, and all he has these little stupid teenagers in the back, laughing and giggling and not coming to the front. And I'm sure it was a little ego, maybe that did this, but he said, I walked straight off that platform and I walked straight down to them. And I put my finger in their face and said, heaven or hell <laughs> right now, heaven or hell. I'm telling you, man, like whew, that does something to me because if a preacher came down and say like, you got to choose right now, heaven or hell, are you going to heaven or hell right now? Right now. Right now. You got to answer that question right now. And if we're not assured about our salvation, I promise you, we need to get to the point where we are sure of the calling and salvation that God has put in our hearts because it is a life or death decision. It is the most important decision you will ever make. And I know that's a heavy illustration, but it holds some weight because heaven or hell, that that's our choices. Jesus says over and over in John, he says, I am. We've heard this. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I will just repeat every verse that's up here. It's okay. <clears throat> Maybe two or three times to make sure that it sinks in, it is the most important decision. I can't say that long, I can't say that enough. It is the structural integrity of our life. It is the foundation of our life. So if we choose life, if we choose this transformative process, we need to know a couple things. Number one, we need to know what Jesus offers us. What does Jesus offer us in scripture? The first thing that Jesus offers us is eternal life. Jesus um, and John came to a well and there was a woman there. And I love this story and I I use it a lot actually in sermons, but he came to a well and there was a woman that was uh, dipping water out and they had an exchange and and he basically said, can you give me something to drink? And she says, you don't even have anything to drink it with, you don't have anything to pull it out of the well. And he, he ends up saying, you know what? You see a man that asks you something to drink, but if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for something to drink. Because the water that you're drinking right now is only gonna quench your thirst for a little bit of time. But the water that I can give you will quench your thirst forever. The first thing that Jesus offers us is eternal life. We are... The Bible says we are groaning, we are are, are hungry for something, and Jesus offers satisfaction for our heart, not only down here on earth, but we will be with him forever in heaven, worshiping him, and that, that hunger and that thirst within our hearts will be quenched and satisfied forever. He offers us eternal life. He says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And I'm going, and while I'm gone, I'm going to do this so when I come back, you can be with me. That's why I'm going away. It's not just a reprieve from hell. It's just not an escape hell card, but it's an opportunity to worship for eternity. Because hell is real too. And we don't talk a lot about hell, but it's real. And and I'm not even gonna... Uh, stay on this subject long. The Bible does say that though, that like save some with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Like there's something like legitimately fearful about uh, a lake of fire. And if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. I'm, I'll tell you, I'm a, I'm a very fearful person. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I made plans Friday night with somebody and I, I said, what do you wanna do? And we could do this, we could do that. And I said, do you like haunted houses? And I don't even know why I asked that question because I hate haunted houses. Um, and she said, "No, I don't." I said, "Good. Okay, let's find something else." And she's like, "No, let's face our fears. Let's face our fears and go to a haunted house." Um, that was a bad decision <laughs> because we're driving there, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, "Jared, just be a man. Just, just man up. You can do this. You're not scared of anything. Like, you're a man." Um, we went to Creepy World um, eh, on 141 in Gravoy, and it, it didn't take two seconds, man. Like, it, if you were outside for Friday night, it was freezing. It was freezing outside, okay? I'm pouring sweat. I am literally, like, pouring sweat beads. She looked at me, She's like, oh, my God. Uh, like, i like, I promise you I apologized 35 times that night. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for how I am. I'm so sorry for who I am. I'm so sorry for what I'm doing. I am just, I'm such a loser. I'm sorry, um, I thought she was gonna be scared, but the whole night she just ended up laughing at me. And um, we were walking through this and like, it's like just weird. Like I walked around every corner, like, no, no, no. I don't want to be in this room. There's like haunted children and like, it's like gross. And you know, there's people that just jump out of everywhere. And uh, we were walking through, and of course there was people behind us and I'm leading this for some reason. I'm leading this because I'm going super slow, Um, but, I am walking through and I'm literally, we're on gravel about to take a step and one of those doors comes down real quick and like a guy just screams like right there. I fell flat on my butt on the gravel, flat on my butt. And let me tell you, there's something emasculating about a girl trying to pick you up (laughs) off the gravel, laughing her head off and people behind you. And I'm just like, guys, let me tell you, I'm I'm so awesome. (laughs) It's, it's amazing how things have not worked out in my life because, <laughs> but I was legitimately scared in this haunted house. I was fearful. But let me tell you about fear. It only goes so far. It only goes so far. Emotion is really, really effective for a short amount of time. Am I scared of a haunted house right now? no. I'm not right now. I was then, but I'm not now. And we can talk about hell and we can make you fearful about hell, but that's gonna last for about this long. And you're gonna choose God because you don't wanna go to that place. But we're trying to take the emotion out of it and say, this is a decision, this is a conscious decision of your mind and your heart to go all in with God, not because you're scared of a place, but because God has so much more to offer you. It's not the practicality of Something that scares you and that you're fearful of and I wanna go to heaven because I don't wanna go to hell. No, we wanna go to heaven because Jesus offers us a quenching for that thirst. The second thing he offers us is unending grace, unending grace. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Everyone say gift. It is the gift of God. God just offers us unending grace. Like the magnitude of what that should do for your heart. Like, um, let me ask you if, you, if you're really, really close to somebody and, and um, they're maybe your best friend and <clears throat> they, they did you really, really wrong one time, like really, really wrong. Like they betrayed your trust. They they might have told somebody a, a secret. They might have, whatever they did. Like they betrayed your trust. It might take some. It might take some time, but you can probably get past that. You might not ever trust them as much as you did, but you can probably get over that. You can probably, um, <clears throat> you can probably get past that and be good friends with them again. I would think. If they did it a second time, like what are you going to do? Like. I mean, you might be able to get past that. Okay, what about a third time? Now we're getting to the point where like we're just cutting them out of our lives. We can't trust these people. We have, we're apathetic towards them because they have done us so wrong time and time again. And then we look at our own lives with our relationship to God. And what he has done for us and the trust that he puts within us and the love that he has for us. And we continuously, continuously, continuously turn our backs on him and not in an involuntary way. Sometimes we know that it's wrong. Sometimes we know, God, I'm just going to turn my back on you and we do it. And you know what? God is always there. God is always there. You know, in the Old Testament, they left Egypt and they were in the wilderness for 40 years looking for the promised land. 40 years looking for this place. And God was there the whole time, the whole time. And you know what happened? After 40 years, they made it to the, the promised land. And like idiots, they didn't stay there. And you know what God didn't say? He didn't say, no, I've, this is the promised land by golly. I've made this the promised land. I have, I have anchored my throne into this place and you. it took you a long time to find it, but here we are. You're not gonna turn your back and run away. No, you know what he did? All right, picked up that throne. I'm with you. I know you're turning your back on me, but I will never, ever turn my back on you. He offers unending grace, unending grace, no matter what you've done. How many remember the story that they read on the God-shaped heart of the, the guy that came home and like came home to, I mean, literally somebody in their house and just murdered all of them except the dad and the dad, um, found out that it was, I think his son who had orchestrated the whole thing to get his inheritance, to get the money and they put him in jail. And you know what the dad did? He didn't say, by golly, you know, I I can't imagine showing this much grace. I can't imagine showing this much grace. Forgiving his son for the things that he had done, went to the judge and begged him not to give him the death penalty, pleaded on his behalf. And you know what the son said at the end? If my father can forgive me for what I've done, I know that God can forgive my sins. And let me tell you, that is the most like horrific story I have ever heard in my life. And if God can forgive somebody that has done that, surely he can forgive the sins in this room. Surely he can forgive the sins in this room. And number three, not only does he offer unending grace, but there is no condemnation that comes along with it. Romans chapter eight, verse one says, therefore, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. That the guilt and the shame that we feel for the things that we have done to turn our back on God is the things that we put on ourselves. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I was talking to somebody one time and we kind of grew up the same way and we were friends and, and they, they looked at me and they're like, Jared, just like in my eyes, you've never done anything wrong. <laughs> and I said, I haven't. <laughs> um, like that's, and I said, I said, you know what? We've all got skeletons in our closet. We've all got things like if somebody had a microphone and said, All right, I'm going to now read The Sins of Jared Carter, like we would run out of this place. Like if things, if people knew the things that I'd done or the things that I thought, like the anger and hostility that I have towards people sometimes, and like um, just the things that are going on in my heart, man, like we all, we all deal with things, right? We all have skeletons in our closet. But God has given us grace and I don't have to worry about those things. I don't have to sit back and be like, man, like God, I'm so sorry for those things that I did years and years ago. And he's thinking, why, man? I've already forgiven you for that. Why do you let guilt and shame control your life? We talked about last week how you have a will of God on your life. And some of you won't step into that because you're worried about what people are going to find out about you or you're worried about how God could use you because you used to do this or used to be like this. There's no condemnation here. This is a judgment free zone. Okay. Can we just say that this is a judgment free zone? The things that are in your past are the things in your past, man. Like we're not sitting around being like, man, we really wish we could use that person, but. I really wish this person would do this, but did you hear they did this one time? No. If anything, we're like, man, let's get these people involved because we are so astounded at the grace that God has afforded us. We want those people. We want those people to be the face of our church. We want the people that said, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Look what God has done in my life. Man, what a better testimony. But there's no condemnation. A man wrote a book one time, and he said this. Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Because the law always has something punitive that you have to pay. That man that we talked about earlier that orchestrated this, he still had a price he had to pay. But it was an earthly price because we're punitive people. We say, if you do this, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If you do this, then you should have to do this. But far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. So we've talked about what Jesus offers. Now let's talk about what Jesus requires. I'm gonna make this real simple. He requires your heart. He requires your heart. Let's just stop there. Because if we get our heart to Jesus, everything else falls into place. If we give our hearts to God, it all starts there. I go to lunch with Dan Gwaltney every once in a while, and I promise you, this comes out of his mouth three or four times every time. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. If we give our heart to Jesus, everything else Will fall into place. So you ask, how do I give my heart to Jesus? The first thing that you have to do is believe. If you're looking for some scientific method that has been, uh, has been done time and time again, you're not going to get it here. The transformation of your heart, it's about faith. It's about the unseen. It's not, it's not a, a, a program of steps. This is not AA. If you do these 12 things, then all of a sudden at the end of this, you're gonna be fine. It's a transformation of your heart. You have to believe. Yes. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved in your house. And there's two other things that the Bible tells us to do. I give you some context here and we've talked about this a lot. Acts chapter two starts like this. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So this is when Jesus was just crucified. There was a time period where he had been resurrected. There was a time period. All of a sudden we find Jews. They're gathered together. The feast of Pentecost. And all of a sudden there's about 120 people in this upper room and something breaks out. There was a violent wind. There was like tongues of fire setting on people and they were all filled with God's spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave the utterance. You know what other Jews thought? They said, these people are drunk. They're drunk. Peter the loudmouth, right? Peter the loudmouth says, I'll take it from here. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. I don't know what you're used to, but people aren't getting drunk at nine o'clock in the morning. Just say amen. But this is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel that in the last day God's gonna pour out his spirit upon all flesh and people are gonna prophesy, people are gonna see visions. This is that. This is that that's happening right now. And he concludes his sermon and people were so moved. It says they were pricked in their heart, they were cut to the heart. And they said, I've gotta know right now, what do I need to do? And Peter says, I'm glad you asked. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 says this Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized and you will receive the Spirit. At the bridge, we believe that the infilling of the Holy Spirit is a necessity. And in order to do that, you have to follow what Peter said, repent and be baptized and God will fill you with the Holy Spirit. That is how you transform your heart. Now we're gonna talk about repentance um, in a little bit when we take communion. We're we're gonna repent corporately together. But if you want to know how to transform your life, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to repent and turn away from the things that you have done and be baptized in the name of Jesus. I'm closing, let's all stand. We're talking about the structural integrity of our hearts. And you know that sometimes that's not something that we, we put a lot of stock into. It's not something that we put a lot of time and effort into it because you know what? People don't see that aspect a lot. What we, what we do spend a lot of time in is things like making sure that our friends know the cars that we drive. We try to keep up with the Joneses. We try to put the appearance of, uh, of having it all together. Right? Yes, yes. Man, we try to decorate ourselves up. We, we spend time and effort on ourselves, on our money, on our social status, on our pride, who we want to impress, our desires. But like I said earlier, if we're worried about that and don't have the structural integrity, it's like water pouring into our basement. And we're worried about the wallpaper in the bathroom. It's like painting a wall that's just crumbling down. We have to start here. We have to start here. We have to start with the most important decision of our life. There's, this, there's salvation in no one other. I said this last week. We are so—I'm um, just so overwhelmed by the family um, of the bridge, man. I, I am—I am blown away by some of the connections and relationships that I have made. And yeah, game night's great, and and the fall festival's great, and Walter's chili was terrible, but the other chilies were good. <laughs> It's more than that. Your relationship with everyone else in this church means nothing until your relationship with God. That's the most important one. Let me tell you this if we transform our hearts and our relationship with God is where it should be, everything else falls into place. Now, does that mean things don't get rough sometimes and life doesn't throw us curveballs? Absolutely not. But I promise you, with God on your side, it's a whole lot easier to handle. When we give our hearts to Jesus, it's a whole lot easier to handle. We talked about what Jesus requires of us, but Jesus has not required anything of us that he has not first given himself.
1: We talked about last
0: week how in the Old Testament, God uh, commanded us to make a sacrifice how in the New Testament, Paul required us to be a living sacrifice. But dead smack in the middle of that, Jesus said, all right, I've seen enough. I'll take care of this myself. So God robed himself in flesh and sent his son, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He didn't come to royalty. He didn't come as a superstar. He came to a virgin, no name Mary. The only crown he ever wore was a crown of thorns. Your king, the only crown he ever wore was a crown of thorns. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. I mean, like he was crushed for us. He had never ever done anything wrong. And he gave his life up for you. He hung on a cross because such a sacrifice had to be made. And it wasn't for just the sins that had happened in the Old Testament, it was for everything that's gonna happen from here to eternity. He's already died for it. He's already paid the price. So this is how I want us to end. We're gonna end with taking communion. So what I want you to do is I want you to go take the bread and the, um, the juice and just stand around the front. We're gonna take this together, so don't do it yet. And then corporately, we're going to repent together. We're gonna to start this process out together, okay? So right now, if you don't mind, if you would like to take communion with us, we've got something on both sides. Just come grab the sacraments and meet us in the front and we will take it together here in a second.
1: 喂 your grace my life redeemed for you chose to take the sinner's crown as you placed your crown on me in that moment surrender was the moment you broke the chains in me lifted out of the
0: and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given to you.